Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about, uh, pick up our conversation we had a few episodes ago about Christians and secular culture. And specifically today, we're going to ask, can Christians watch Game of Thrones? And others like it. Yeah, it's just kind of the broad topic. That's kind of the category of conversation because that's yeah. that's something you instantly understand because you know Game of Thrones has been accused of being porn for the first three seasons <laughs> and uh, and all this blood and guts and then dragons and fantasy and there's a whole lot of reasons why a Christian would wonder if he should spend his time watching Game of Thrones yeah and and I've been using the word ancillary what in the world does that mean well let's not get into it I might be wrong uh, and Anc- we, ancillary and ancillary and ancillary yeah, yeah, ancillary, ancillary. Yeah, I pulled a, I pulled a British person. You did put, put an I where it didn't belong. Yes, like you aluminium. Did. Yes, you did. Ancillary, ancillary. Yeah, ancillary. And yeah. that means like kind of tangential. It's like in that. addition to or yeah, attached to in some way. See, see, that's a word that you you knew before I did. Yeah, and I said it correctly. And you said it correctly. That's two points. Yes, Bing Bing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Jim two, John. Who knows? Yeah, zero. Forty three. It, could, it yeah. could be John's forty three. Yeah. Well, not millions. <laughs> I'll, I'll say forty three. Ancillary to and that. And the Russian judge says five. Right. <laughs> um, is the idea that we I, we don't get into this, but I find it interesting that I don't think Game of Thrones would be as big as it is if it wasn't close to pornography in the first three seasons. I don't understand your question. What you're saying? I'm saying that that sex sells, man. Got to got to put that skin in the show. Get your uh, and what does that have to do with Christians? Nothing. I'm just saying it's interesting. <laughs> you know this went downhill really. No, fast. I'm just. I'm. It's kind of the point of it. It, it fits like. In the of course, it has sex. Is that what you mean? I'm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Because it's that big, you know. Well, explain Princess Bride. Well, that's fun for the whole family. That's a whole different appeal. Well, but it's it's they never had any idea how famous that thing would be, and there's none of that in it. We start off every episode with story time, <laughs> and uh, this week it is my dad's turn. Story yeah. or joke? What do you got? I'm going to tell a story, uh, so because it'll it'll kind of lead us into this conversation. Okay. So when I was in college, I became friends with a buddy who uh, turned out to be. A really good friend. In fact, he was best man in my wedding, mm. and he is the he is the guy I named my firstborn son after, Tim. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I know that guy. Yeah, so Tim is, uh, yeah, Tim. So this is a different story. Tim was visiting us one time in Texas, and Julie was a little kid, and we had this stack of kids' books, and so he's on the floor reading her uh, a kids' book, and mm-hmm. one of them is this giant book about transportation and the whole book is trucks and cars and airplanes and boats and trains Mm -hmm. and it's just pages and pictures of all these different modes of transportation and so uh i walked out of the room to go do something when i came back he said uh ask ask julie what she wants to do when she grows up and so i said hey julie what do you what do you want to do when you grow up she said i want to be a sanitation engineer (laughs) because he taught her about the trash truck and convinced her that oh, she no. wanted to be a sanitation. So I thanked him profusely for that. <laughs> anyway, so Tim's really funny, and he's just a good friend. And so we, when we were in college, 
I had, uh, I came into our dorm room. We, uh, roomed together for a while. And, um, actually I think I was rooming with somebody else, but he was hanging out in the room with a bunch of buddies. And I don't know what got me mad, but I came in fuming. I had just come hmm. from somewhere and I was as mad as I ever remember being. And I can't remember why. I can't remember why, but I mean, I was smoke coming out of my ears mad. Hmm. And so I came in the room and I threw my stuff down and I'm just ticked. And he said, what is wrong with you? And I said, man, I'm pissed off. And he grabbed me, spun me around and pinned me up against uh, the bunk beds. And he said, what is a word like that doing, doing coming out of a mouth like yours? Whoa. And my eyes got real big. <laughs> and uh, it was just a friend confronting a friend. Why are you talking like that? Like, it's okay to be angry, but you don't need to lower yourself to that kind of language. And, you know, you know, me and the family I grew up in, that mm-hmm. was like, that's, that, that's yeah, your first word. That's pretty tame. Yeah. And so it was a really, it's, it's a moment in my life I've never forgotten about the idea that, you know, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to a higher bar of purity or of integrity of speech. Mm-hmm. And he inspired me. You know, there I have other I've had other times where people put a legalistic bar up against me and it made me feel mad or judged. Mm-hmm. This did not make me feel judged at all. This made me feel inspired. Wow. And so that's an interesting conversation because it leads into what we're going to talk about today, which sure. is, you know, how much secular engagement should a Christian have? Um, there's and and they're all over the map here in this regard among the Christian community. Some who throw their TVs out and won't watch TV. Mm-hmm. I have friends who have canceled all internet because of of the proliferation of internet porn. They've decided wow. they're going to unplug, <clears throat> and they'll only That's... use internet at work, mm-hmm. and they won't check email at home. And so I had a, another friend who just went to a flip phone because he's tired of being owned by his technology. I don't think that was a purity conversation, but. Um, you know, there's a, there's a wide range of conversation here. What kind of words ought to come out of our mouths? What kind of entertainment should we watch? Mm-hmm. Uh, are there boundaries on the kind of music we should listen to? And on and on it goes. And so that's where we want to go today. So give me your, uh, give me your short answer, your first blush answer to the question, should a Christian watch Game of Thrones? Well, you know, I'm, I'm nothing if not a, a bleeding heart artist and, uh, that's a joke. But uh, when I think of this, we talk about technology. I really think the conversation is about um, art and speech. So like what you're saying with Tim, I think that plays more into it. Um, because the graphic um, gra- graphicness, there's a better word for that. The, uh, the graphic nature. The graphic nature of of art is not necessarily glorification of that graphic um, hmm. per attitude, right? So say say there was a TV show of um, the Book of Kings in the Bible, mm-hmm. and it held no punches. It would be a very gruesome, it would. gruesome program. Yeah. Um, Should a Christian watch that? Exactly, exactly. There are Christians, for example, who had you know a bar, I will not watch a rated R movie, mm-hmm. and then The Passion of the Christ came out. Right. <laughs> and they had to decide if they're going to violate their standard to go watch... The passion of the Christ, right? And so, uh, when it when it comes to art, I think you have more le- less clear quandaries to deal with because, uh, in order to, I think, in order to make people feel what you want them to feel when you're creating something, you can't always 
pull your punches, you know, like um, if you're going to accurately portray the era. Right. Um, it's like uh, war movies mm-hmm. that don't want to use profanity. Mm-hmm. How can you accurately portray right. soldiers in trenches fighting for their lives without a ton of F-bombs? Exactly. And uh, But at the same time, you know, it is the responsibility of every human, Christian or not, on what they want to consume mm-hmm. uh, with, you know. Art, art wise, and so wise. what's the value? So I, I have, you know, I have this. We're going to go a lot of directions here because the conversation does, in fact, go lots of directions. Mm-hmm. And so let's just uh, begin with one disclaimer: we have no interest in controlling everybody's viewing and listening habits, sure. and our uh, intention rather is to discuss personal convictions and how a person ought to navigate their own spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. Because what goes into your eyes and ears does, in fact, uh, contribute to your life in some way, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus said, the eye, the eye is the lamp of the body, and, the, and if the eye is good, your body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. And if the darkness within you, if the, if the light within the you is darkness, is, then how great is that? How great yeah. is that darkness? Now, I think that's in the context of material possessions and greed. But the point is the same, that what you stare at, what you look at, what you long for, these are not minor conversations. Um, But we're not interested in setting a new um, religious legalistic standard about a box for everybody to fit in. But it is a it's a hot topic. Lots of um, there's uh, and it's not a there's no majority opinion as far as I can tell on this. Um, In fact, uh, if anything, because and that might be this might be a generational thing. Um, I hadn't heard of the the um, opinion of Christians not watching Game of Thrones as a broad statement as "Hey, we shouldn't do this." Oh, really? Until uh, pretty recently, until an old guy like me, man, you said it. Uh, younger than you, but a person older than me. It was on Twitter. It was, it was oh. a big. Um, a Christian Twitter is a place that I'm not even. It's it's fine. I'm not crazy about mm-hmm. it. There's a lot of it, there's nut jobs everywhere. I shouldn't even I shouldn't demonize Twitter, mm-hmm. but anyway, uh, it was a thing on there, and lots of people on either side. Uh, but a lot of people that I, you know, th- that I respect and and don't think they're they're not fake Christians, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. and they watch Game of Thrones. So, um, I don't really have a clear answer on it. I do think talk about glorification. That show does not present that in a way that is not um, that is not suggestive. That, that it's not con- condemning these things in the show. You know. I don't understand what you're saying. Like if, if a guy goes to a, uh, a brothel in the show or if there's a over super gratuitous sex scene, as far as I know, I haven't seen, I've seen a handful of episodes um, over the years just through uh, right. yeah, exposure. But as far as I know, it is not uh, condemning that. Right. Right. And the, and, the, and the question could be, you could, could you not portray the accuracy of the era Having the people having sex underneath blankets or even if they're out in the woods with foliage covering their bodies so that you know <laughs> what they're style. doing. You know, you could just yeah. you could know what's going on without having to reveal the body parts that would take a guy and drag away and entice him. Yeah. Well, then say <clears throat> I am. I do agree with you. But say you, that war movie example. Why don't they just add in those, you know, sensors like freaking and yeah. Or just like beep, 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 yeah. beep, you know. Yeah. Because it, I, I, it wouldn't have the same effect if in the first, you know, ten minutes of Saving Private Ryan, there's just there it's all censored, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So let me read you a scripture. Sure. This is Ephesians chapter five, and I'm going to start at verse looks like verse three or so. 
But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. Now there's an interesting thought Hmm. that idolatry is dropped into this conversation. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. This is what I wanted you to hear especially. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Hmm. So... That passage seems to indicate it's shameful to even talk about what they do in secret, let alone turn it on your TV and watch them do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this is the posture of people who say we should have an incredibly conservative view about what we're willing to look at or watch because, yes, it's accurate to the period of time. It's accurate to that era. It's accurate to that context or to that particular story. But why would I watch that when Scripture encourages me to not even discuss it? I mean, who am I to end of the episode? Scripture, right? Problem I mean, solved. Yeah. <laughs> if this is our if this is our handbook, then what's the? Well, I mean that that's that's an angle. So sure. I wonder. I, take an opposite view. Take yeah. a, take a view that that says, well, yeah, but yeah, I don't I don't even have to go too far to take this opposite view. Uh, the the very optimistic way to look at uh, what movies and and stories can do is to like we talked a bit earlier about how um, never having never been impoverished, I will never even if I interview a person who's been impoverished for fifty hours of interviewing, I'm never going to fully get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and stories and immersion in these narratives has the potential to not not make you experience it as it was, but get close to to uh, to make one empathize. Mm-hmm. That's kind mm-hmm. of the whole name mm-hmm. of the game. In in um, at least in art that takes itself very seriously, you know, right. I'm, I'm a big fan of art that doesn't take itself very seriously. But um, so there's that concept of it where, hey, I'm not going to watch um, this documentary about the Rwandan genocide or something, right? Like, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna watch that because it's it's um too, it's too graphic, lots of curse words. But if you do, now you're going to miss out on this incredible exactly. human thing. Exactly, you could say the same of Schindler's List and right. watching the Jews be tortured in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a movie that comes to my mind that I would argue, as you're doing for this, mm-hmm. is a movie called Goodwill Hunting. And in that movie, it's the story of this young genius guy who is tormented from his abusive childhood. And he processes with a therapist who's also tormented with his own baggage. Sure. And the profanity in it is really intense. Mm. But it is one of the most powerful portrayals of our journey of recovery from the things that happened to us. And it has no gratuitous sex in it. It's just a lot of profane language. Yeah. Um, But that story uh, impacted my understanding of the formation of the human soul and psyche and 
and uh, help me connect dots in the in like maybe the way I feel about certain things or think about certain things and know, knowing the trail then of where that came from. You know, those are brilliant, human, insightful things. Right. And so sometimes they, they contain a level of ugliness because the ugliness is a significant part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think a part we're going we're gonna to get to this eventually is uh, I've seen the sentiment uh, pretty pretty widely. And uh, it's, it's more of a, an attitude of the era than it is a numbers thing. But it's that uh, Americans are far more comfortable with violence and and gore than they are with with sex in in entertainment and media, mm-hmm. and um, the sentiment mostly comes from uh, the idea that in Europe in European countries it's the exact opposite where they're way more comfortable with sex and nudity than violence. And I know um, with uh, video games and movies, censorship is a, is way easier to do in these other countries. Where in America, that's a very difficult thing to do. Mm. Um, but even in, you know, public television in, in, uh, England after a certain hour is going to, well, have, well, could have, uh, um, frontal nudity in it. Sure. Um, and, but they won't have, you know, like on, on, uh, the show Hannibal showed on cable television in America. That, that is an intensely graphic mm-hmm. and gory show. So, um, there's this idea that some things as far as just gratuitousness are worse than others. Yeah. And my defense against that has always been that, um, that with sex and nudity in particular, that is so much more of a magnet for um, sin for for men specifically um, than uh, like violence doesn't make me want to go and be violent on television, right? Where where that right. isn't that isn't the same for for sexuality on on screen. What do you think about that? Are those are those different values of of? Uh, well, it's about. It, it, my mind goes to the subject of desensitization. So Mm. when I see mega, mega violence, I start devaluing human life. I start, uh, I stop grieving when a person is killed in our streets in a car accident or Mm. a shooting occurs, you become desensitized and it becomes what, what you could probably argue as a culture of death where the value of human life, and that's compounded by abortion and uh, euthanasia and these ideas that some lives aren't, valuable enough to save sure or there's a quality of life and if you vary beneath that bar of quality you might as well just be dead the the proliferation of uh not only assisted suicide but suicide as a as an intelligent option for some people Mm. and so you have this uh this desensitization to to violence and death and and even maybe rape or uh, abuse yeah so i think there's a case that you could be made there yeah, I could see that. There was, uh, and it still happens a lot, but especially in around the 2008, uh, 2012, and that about four years, there was um, uh, a lot of school shootings happening and a lot of uh, trying to find find a reason for this. Yeah. And violent video games came under scrutiny, and they still have been uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, to be candid, I've played a lot of violent video games, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, and I don't consider myself a violent person. You're not a violent person, uh, and, right. uh, and and you're sensitive to the pain of others, right? And I don't think that any amount of short of some kind of brainwashing thing could could uh, any amount of exposure to these elements could turn a person homicidal. 
sort of trauma, you know. So let's let's maybe have a principle here. Maybe we'll emerge some principles out of the conversation. A principle that, that emerges from oh. little, just little asterisk to okay. that. I do actually, I do agree with you about the desensitization. Yeah, just not in the that culturally, the whole culture becomes, becomes desensitized. desensitized. Exactly, but not necessarily that the individual can be driven to. Yeah. So, uh, so one of the principles that emerges then is knowing yourself mm-hmm. and gatekeeping for yourself. So. Um, you, you're not violent. You don't have a propensity to violence. These things don't make you daydream about violence. Sure. There might be other people. Um, the, the, one of the school shooters, um, I don't remember which school shooting it was, but he had actually an entire scoring system on his bedroom wall after they had gone to his home after they killed him of of previous shootings. Well, and he had point systems. Mm -hmm. He had studied all these mass shootings and gave point systems like a video game. And it was Mm -hmm. shaped after a certain video game. I don't remember which one. And so he was trying to outscore all the points of previous shootings. And so there was something in him clearly broken. And this uh, exacerbated his dysfunction. And so uh, you can't, say video games are bad because one guy who was really distorted used a video game to frame his next steps. Sure. Um, you know, it's like guns don't kill people. People do. And so uh, you could, one principle is to know yourself and to know the kinds of things that drag you away and entice you, the sure. things that, that do disturb your soul and that you have to be the guardian and gatekeeper of your own soul. Yeah, I knew of a guy who said he was at a bowling alley and the Lord spoke to him, leave this bowling alley and never step into another one for the rest of your life. Wow. And he's, he never has, but he has no desire to tell people, don't go bowling. Bowling's bad. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know why, but he's going to be obedient to that prompting of the spirit in him. And I think there's something powerful about our own journey of faith with Christ guided by some principles that we find in the scriptures that are really important. Uh, but knowing yourself is a is a big key to this. Yeah, there was a. It was really funny. I, I like this story a lot, even though I never talked to my grandfather about it. It was mom's dad. It's my my maternal uh, grandpa, and he was a saxophonist mm-hmm. and supposedly pretty good. I I've never I never actually saw him play mm-hmm. before he died, but uh, I heard um, after he died that uh, he played a, a lot of jazz in his younger days, and he loved jazz. And he loved jazz, and then when he got uh, saved. He uh, th- he felt that it was inappropriate, and, and he, he would only play gospel music. Exactly. Yeah, and um, I learned that after he had died. But before, um, I was sure I was getting into jazz music, and I was uh, I was hanging out with him one day when they moved up here, and I was showing him this music, and he was really, you know, he he would um, enter- he would entertain me and allow me to. to to tell him things so that he didn't care about. But this one in particular, I could tell he was actually interested. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> you were really good at that age of telling lots of people things about things they didn't care oh, about. Man, nothing <laughs> they cared about. But uh, he wasn't exactly a patient person anyway. So, yeah, so that's true. I'm very grateful that he yeah. was, well, that he uh, allowed me. But anyway, yeah. uh, he never said, you know, you shouldn't listen to jazz music, right. but, but he, he wouldn't play it. Right. And I think part of that is, association with who you were before you knew Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even if that isn't inherently sinful, it's part of the old you. Yeah. Um, you know, I have buddies that, uh, the, the bar conversation is a different conversation, but who are really into the bar scene and the drinking scene and they weren't alcoholics, but it was part of their, part of their life. And then when they, you know, they came to, to Christ, it's just not something they find appealing anymore because that's something they used to do. Well, we we've, we've had occasions in my pastoral history where we've done, 
quote unquote, secular songs in church. Mm-hmm. I hate the whole conversation about secular and sacred, but that's another conversation. And, um, I had, I had this guy who, um, every time that would happen. And there was a stretch where maybe it happened three times in a not long span of time. And every time he would get up, as soon as the song started, he'd get up and leave and then, mm. and then either leave for good or come back when the song was over. And his feedback was, I used to get stoned out of my head with that music and I was cheating on my wife and I was living this debaucherous life. I don't need to come to church and hear the song that triggers all of those memories for me. Sure. And that was his, you know, he was passionate that we should not be doing such things in church. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there again, you have to, you have to know your whole thing. The scripture talks about uh, all things. Paul says, all things are permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. Hmm. And um, all things are permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So there's this principle that I need to I need to govern my own soul. Yeah. And while something may be permissible, in other words, it's not sin to do it, or it's not um, it's not clearly biblically a sin to be a part of that. It's not beneficial to you. Yeah. And so why would you engage in it when it's not constructive? My own uh, personal thing about this is I love the craft of storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. It's like my Mm -hmm. favorite thing, my favorite pastime. Yeah. And, um, and I have a lot of respect for, uh, for, for quality storytelling and for, for just, just the, the art. And, uh, but there are things like, uh, like game of Thrones. I've heard just so much about it. Uh, it's quality. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I picked up the first book at a Goodwill for like 75 cents. Mm-hmm. And I found it. It was a, or it was a value village. But uh, anyway, and uh, I was kind of hoping because all the stuff about the guy and, and uh, I'm a huge Tolkien and Lewis fan. So he's like, oh, he's the next Tolkien. I was like, we'll see about that. Right. And I read the first chapter. And I was blown away. I was like, this is, he was really, really a, a spectacular author, but I never mm-hmm. finished the book and I don't watch the show. And even with, with certain horror movies, I know are going to mess with me right. or, or certain themes. Uh, there's there's just a level of evaluation where uh, I won't it, it's not worth it to me even though I do it is a, a favorite thing of mine to do is to consume these things um, and with Game of Thrones it isn't even necessarily the the nudity or the violence it's just the it is it's the the message of um, the story it's what informs the story right mm-hmm. so like with um, like Lewis and Tolkien mm-hmm. I I let down my barriers because I know where I know what these two men, what they believe, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. like the Golden Compass, written by Philip Pullman, who is a, I think he's he might still be alive actually, was or is uh, a very stern atheist, and wrote mm-hmm. it as a um, response to Narnia. Actually, oh wow, he wrote a, a atheist fantasy in response wow. to a Christian fantasy. Wow, that kind of stuff I can't quite. Like, I can't let my guards. I can't. Yeah. I can't internalize it because I am very suspicious. You know that that kind of thing. Sure, that's my own personal dealings with. That's with really things. interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, one question that that emerges out of this is: um, Is there even a biblical case for entertainment? I was going to ask you. I don't know of a single reference to entertainment or fiction. Yeah, there isn't. There scripture. isn't. There isn't one. And I remember being a college student and having this question pop in my head, could I build a biblical case for entertainment? Hmm. And I was unable to do so. That doesn't necessarily mean that entertainment is not biblical. It might be extra biblical. Scriptures don't just don't address it. Um, but we know that things like recreation, which mm-hmm. is literally recreation, 
So the the reason our bodies need Sabbath and need exercise and need, you know as we recreate energy mm-hmm. in our lives and so for some people that would be an entertainment uh, entertainment recreates energy in my life um, but it's interesting you know is there a value I, I have the same question about retirement the hmm. notion of retiring and playing for the rest of your life right. like making no contribution to society because you did your time right i can't get around that but now you're just waiting you're just twiddling your thumbs till you die you're just you're just basically a a senior citizen hedonist <laughs> <laughs> and so you know i i'm not accusing any retiree of doing that i'm just saying for me to think about retirement i can't think about having a season of life where i don't contribute in some meaningful way you know that that I don't think you get to retire from being a force for the kingdom of God. Uh, it doesn't mean I should be earning revenue or, uh, you know. Anyway, yeah. that, that's another whole line of thinking about that. Um, from what it what is it that God would have me do in a in a God honoring way? And yeah. entertainment is the same thing. Well, thinking about with retirement, um, I think that your your responsibilities change, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you don't have to work anymore. Now you can just spend your time getting coffee with, with uh, people that you want to uh, help. Encourage and, and counsel and yeah, cheer. And you're, and, you're ta- yeah, you're, you've done your time, so mm-hmm. to speak. You can mm-hmm. take it easy and not feel bad for just relaxing. Mm-hmm. But And there, there's still work for you to do. Yeah, I think that's right. So that's what I mean is adding meaning to your retirement process. Mm-hmm. So um, so when you think of recreation, that's an interesting question. You know, uh, leisure, recreation, um, you know, what, what is there, what, what's going on there and why should you, or should you not do that? Now, here's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question for you. Would a person, because we talked about, you know, being true to the era, understanding history, thinking about Schindler's list or these stories that are profoundly impactful, even goodwill hunting and the journey of the, of the human psyche, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, would a person who is born, say, the the Amish, right? <laughs> okay. So they don't have TVs. They don't have radios. Right, they're not, they're not about it. They're not reading newspapers. They're not watching movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are unplugged entirely sure. from this very conversation we're having. Are they somehow diminished? Is there is there is their development somehow inhibited because they abstained from all of this? I don't – I wouldn't go that far – um, yeah, I remember in youth group, there was a, a sort of divide between when I was growing, in in Grace specifically. So I, uh, the Grace Community Church, where we used to go before we moved to Washington, um, there was a a sort of line between the homeschooled kids and the non homeschooled kids, mm. and you could almost always <laughs> tell before you even really talked to them mm-hmm. who was homeschooled and mm-hmm. who wasn't. And um, at the time, obviously, I didn't think too hard about this where it really is kind of like sociologically mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was a a sort of exposure. Like yeah. you could tell that they weren't really used to mm-hmm. to this, where people in public schools or I was at a charter school, but, um, you know, it's just different. So I think as long as talk about evaluating yourself, you have to make sure that, that, that you're not causing yourself any detriment by your abstinence from entertainment either or your abstinence from the world. So mm-hmm. say... You know, you don't own a TV. Not that this is a case to to say that you shouldn't do that, but then you know, you, how you have to have conversations with people, right? Right. So if they say, um, you know, what do you do for fun? And you say, um, 
I garden and mm-hmm. I paint. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah. I'm sure there's there's communities where that's not going to be weird at all. Um, I, I journal know. and reflect exactly, and yeah. just sort of a a standoffishness as an as an attitude as a persona. Yeah, that you don't want. So I, I'm not sure I'm I'm buying this, and I don't think I pitched it quite. Yeah, right. But here's here's something I've noticed. Okay, okay. So I grew up in a home that has none of this. It's not a believer's home. Uh, so I got drunk when I was 12. It's the only time in my life I've been drunk. Um, my dad was drinking beer. Hey, can I have one of those? And he says, yeah, you can have one if you will match me beer for beer. So I did until I passed out. And then I woke up the next morning puking my guts out, and I've never been drunk again. So that's kind of house I grew up in. So my mm-hmm. dad would just watch, you know, movies that were no boundaries with kids in the room and, you know, whatever. No, no boundaries in the 70s is a little different than no boundaries nowadays. But. I know, but it was he he pushed limits, man. Hmm. Yeah. Like we would go to the drive-in and watch bimbos from outer space. So there was lots. I was, you know, you're pushing the edges anyway. Uh, I think I, I just underestimated the seven. So, much. <laughs> so uh, I have met because of that, when I meet these homeschool mm-hmm. type families, uh, even as a going through college and, and even as an adult meeting families uh, that, were raising their kids and living their lives far more conservatively than I had ever uh, even pursued. Mm-hmm. I have been very impressed, not every time, but I have met kids who grew up in very conservative homes. The music's controlled. The vi- the viewing is controlled. The reading is controlled. Everything is keep that crap out, like block out the world, mm-hmm. right? The world. And and I've been super impressed with how, as they approach marriage, how you would think they would be like, oh, now I'm going to have sex and I've not been allowed to discuss sex or talk about. It. Sure. And when, in fact, they had healthy sex education in their home. And so they became people who were um, excited. I'm thinking of uh, young women I've known who were approaching their wedding day and they come out of a home like this. And they're excited to enter into a sexual relationship with their husband because they've been taught about the beauty and power of that in a hmm. in a covenant relationship. And I watch them listen to people as they engage as adults now, young adults, and they hear people talking about um, carnal issues and world problems, and and they're right there. They uh, because they were taught principles of thinking, mm-hmm. principles of problem solving, principles of morality, principles of character, and those integrate. So while I might not have seen the movie you're referring to, tell me the storyline. Sure. What's going on there? I oh, think you know what I mean? That was a bad example. What I was really trying to say, and I, it really it popped in, in my head, was that uh, the approach, if the approach is from a place of fear, you're already doing it wrong. So if you're separating yourself from the world out of fear of being... Contaminated. Yeah, and you can't, you won't be able to help yourself, you know. I totally agree that, that we are not called to be fear-based people. Right. And that's a huge point. I'm glad you brought that up. I wouldn't have thought of that. That is a brilliant point. That parenting out of fear, running from the world, mm-hmm. pulling the covers over your head and exactly. pretending the world isn't there. Those are terrible strategies. That's really a great, there's another pillar of guiding principle there. Yeah, but I think, but, but and and I, I phrase it in a way that maybe um, demonized that group. And I didn't mean to do that. So I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad that you defended them. Well, I wasn't just defending them because I'd been thinking earlier as we were talking about these people who've wowed me with their, um, what I would call this is their their worldly acumen, mm. even though they've had no contamination, sure. right? Right, right. And it's impressive to me. And it makes me realize this can be done well. 
Yeah. Whereas I assumed that it could not be done well. It could only be done with that fear uh, thing. Yeah. So another principle, mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus says um, when he prays for us in John 17, 14, 15, 16, 17, that final discourse of Jesus, he, he talks to the disciples, then he prays for the disciples. And somewhere in there, I think it's chapter 17, he says, Father, I don't ask that you remove them from the world for the world, for I need them in the world, mm-hmm. but they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. And so there's this phrase that has emerged from that, that, that uh, theologians use it's in, but not of, right. And that we are in the world, but not of the world. And what, what you were referring to is that if we withdraw from the discourse of art and story mm-hmm. and history and psychology and science. Yeah. If we withdraw from that, then we have no influence in that. And that God wants us to be in the middle of, he was hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors mm-hmm. and crazy people. I believe Jesus would frequent bars today. Now that's a highly controversial statement. I believe there would be nothing about him that would be afraid to walk into a bar with a group of guys and have a conversation. Sure. Um, because he's going to be in it. He won't be of it. He's not contaminated by it. He's not desirous of it. He's not idolatry. That, that mm-hmm. I, I would like to get back to the Ephesians 5 thing at some point. Yeah. What is it about that that would be idolatry? That's because I haven't even thought that through, but it jumped out at me while we read it. Uh, but to be in it, but not of it. And mm-hmm. there is tension. So here's what here's what I think. I've, I've realized that we hate tension. Hmm. So... Um, uh, so example, you're a single young Christian man and you're dating a single young Christian girl and you're going to make a decision together. How much affection are we going to show to each other prior to our wedding day? Mm-hmm. And if you if you have this desire, we want to go into our wedding virgins and we want to have our honeymoon be two virgins coming together in covenant marriage with God. It's an awesome thing. It is a powerful thing. Sure. Well, the question is, well, how do we protect that? And what are we going to do? in between then to express our love to each other. Well, the tension is if I touch her, if I kiss her, if I hold her, arousal will begin inside my body and I have to govern that. Mm-hmm. So some people would say, well, let's just not awaken desire before right. it's time. So you don't have to tame anything. Right. And so we're not even going to have our first kiss till the wedding day. Some people have this approach. Um, so my point is that we, we look for, um, guardrails that remove the tension. Mm -hmm. And so I think Jesus wants us in the tension. Yeah. That the art of our culture is speaking the culture. Plato said, uh, you write the books, I'll write the music and I'll change the world. Hmm. It's not books that will change the world. It is entertainment that will change the world. Well, I had this, uh, I had this, these thoughts a lot when I was, when I was, uh, younger, I'm still young. I was going to say when I was young, Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, that, uh, that you could, uh, maybe reach people, uh, like, like for God, reach them through, through secular quote unquote art Mm -hmm. through, through non explicitly Christian art. Right. And, um, there's one of those things where you hope it's true. We've never actually seen that it's true. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this woman came to and spoke at Northwest while I was a student there. And, uh, I don't remember I don't quite remember much about the message, unfortunately, but it was, but her test, she said a, a bit about her testimony and, and she was, uh, um, she was studying, I think fables, like mm-hmm. that was like, like, mm-hmm. like scholarly studying. She was, uh, it was her, um, in her, uh, um, grad education. 
And uh, she was a huge fan of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia before she knew that even that C.S. Lewis was even a Christian. Oh. And um, she was so wrapped up in its mythology and uh, and Aslan as a character and 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 really how uh, uh, one for one Narnia is with the with with the uh, the way God interacts with us. The, or, or that was the intention with C.S. Lewis, right? Um, and so when she learned that he was a Christian. And she started reading about the Bible and realized how much of the understanding she had of the workings of it through uh, Narnia. Mm-hmm. It was this huge thing in her conversion process. And she talked a lot about that. And so that was that was really, really satisfying to me. It was like, ah, it can happen. Right, right. Yeah, she might be one in a million. Yeah, Pilgrim's Progress but, is another one that's older than C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. and does that same thing. It's kind of more character development, but... Um, the battles against your character and developing sure. who you are and all that really powerful stuff. Yeah. But that's not really, that's not the talk about, um, about, uh, explicit material. Uh, that's kind of more of the proactive, the, the value of creation. Right. And, and engaging in it there. Um, let's do, uh, let's, let's do a little break here. Let's give a little spiel. And afterwards I'll, I want you to to bring us out. What do you do? You have some. Uh, I want to before principle? I forget this because I'm afraid I'll forget. Okay, I'm I'm old in that way. Is is a book recommendation? <laughs> oh, talking about what you're saying there. There's a book called Addicted to Mediocrity. Hmm. It's written by um, Frankie Schaefer, something Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's son. Okay. Anyway, the book is amazing. It's a small book. It's not a hard read. It's called Addicted to Mediocrity. And the point of it is that the church ought to be leading the culture in art and creativity and storytelling and beauty. But mm-hmm. instead, because of this argument about the secular, that Christians have withdrawn from those arenas and and just handed them over to pagan and, sure. and grotesque expression, when in reality we should be in the middle of that right. leading creativity. And it's a really fascinating book. So that's, that's just awesome. a recommendation yeah. to anybody who wants to think more about this or or read something that's going to help provoke some more thoughts for them. All right. What's our commercial here? Uh, our commercial uh, is real brief. We just want to make sure that uh, you guys are uh, subscribed to the podcast mm-hmm. so you don't miss an episode. Yeah. Uh, it should be a big button right on whatever uh, software whichever you're using. provider you use. Yeah. Um, platform. And, uh, platform. Yeah. Uh, and that we want to hear from you guys. So if you go to our website, jimandjohn.com, mm-hmm. uh, no H and John. Yeah. Uh, there's a uh, contact info there. You can leave a comment or you can email us at info at Jim and That's probably the easiest way. Almost yeah. everybody has email. Yeah. Just, just uh, shoot us an email info at Jim and No H in the John. Yeah. If you have something we want to cover or uh, any kind of feedback, or if you think we, we would love to know what sucks, what you think is good, what you think might make it better. Mm-hmm. You like our intro music. John chose that by the way. If you like that, you could throw him You're a little welcome. kudo there. Yeah. yeah. Um, any any tips at all or conversations or questions or things we could do to make it better or how we might serve you? Yeah, we really want to make this a community. And uh, so far, it's one-way communication. We'd love to make that two-way communication. Yeah. So uh, any and everything you would like yeah. to say to so us. So subscribe, uh, reach out to us, talk to us, and then third, tell a friend. Yeah. We yeah. love that. Just tell a friend, hey, listen to this. Pick out your favorite episode and pass it on to a friend and say, hey, check this out. See what you think. That'd be That'd awesome. Be great. All right, so I feel like we've been we we kind of touched on your um, what on on the personal stance that you have to govern your own mm-hmm. boundaries. Mm-hmm. But if you had to say a blanket answer, uh, should a Christian watch Game of Thrones? 
Wow, you just put me on the spot. You I know. Just made me well, just what? answer that. We never, we never answered it. That's the title of the podcast. We never answered it. Well, I don't. And our, and we said from the beginning, we're not trying to control anybody's behavior. Mm-hmm. So if you're asking me, should I watch Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say no. Um, All right. And um, and I have some Christian leaders that I highly respect who say yes, you should. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's just you know lay that out there. I think that Christians today, as a group, we are far too permissive in what we take in. We're far too comfortable mm-hmm. with immorality as entertainment. And there's the thing is what we're doing to entertain us. What's entertaining to me about that? Gotcha. Game of Thrones, for example, is not entertaining to me, first of all, for the medieval dragons I don't have any interest in all that. <laughs> right. You're not having to force yourself not right. to watch that one. Where maybe uh, a, a a piece of uh, movie, television, whatever, that's centered around post-Civil War America, that's my fascination zone. I love that period of American history. Mm-hmm. And so I might tolerate some indecency or um, – you had a word for it earlier um, – the just the vivid portrayal of uh, I'm not sure what of sexual parts or whatever that uh, I might I might be tempted to endure that instead of Game of Thrones mm-hmm. because it's in an era of American history I really am fascinated by and the I'm fascinated by the shape of our country coming out of slavery the expansion to the West the formation of the other states uh, it's just a I, I love that part of history so. So, you know, Game of Thrones being about dragons and and mm-hmm. whatever, I just don't have any interest there. But I do, I am bothered by uh, how much, because all I've been told is there is a ton of sex. Right. And I feel like part of it is the, talk about the, the value of it. Yeah. I feel like the value of stories like that is... Again, in the craft and in and in the plot, that you lose yourself in the drama and mm-hmm, the details. Mm-hmm. But really, if you're looking for a, a, a truth out of that or a moral, mm-hmm. uh, which I love to do, I don't know what you're going to find there. Right? You know, what what a, is beneficial? Per- There's the right. Paul question. All things are all things are permissible for me. What's beneficial about watching Game of Thrones? How is my life better? Now, I have friends who hate football. Hmm. But yeah. they watch this football, they keep up with the scores, they watch a little football so that when they go to work on Monday, they can engage in the conversation about that Seahawk game because everybody's going to be talking about it and they're tired of being left out and feeling stupid. Mm. And so some people argue about it. In this case, it makes me conversationally engaged in relevant conversations with what the culture is talking about. And so there's a missional uh, effort there. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's another... That'd be a lot more convicting for you and me. Should a Christian watch football? You know, what's, what's beneficial well, of there course. for us? I think Jesus loves football. I don't know if he does. All these guys <laughs> with concussions, you know, when they're in their 50s. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That'll be another episode, maybe. Maybe. I don't, th- I don't think I'm going to go there. That'll be episode like 120. Okay. When we're really scraping the bottom <laughs> of the barrel. <laughs> when we've truly run out of things to talk about. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't think we'll ever run out of things to talk about. No. Um. So, uh, so my bottom line from this conversation, I'd love to hear yours because mm-hmm. that's what you were kind of teasing before our commercial break. My bottom line takeaway from this conversation is that I, I should probably 
have a more diligent gatekeeping of my eyes, ears, and mouth than I currently mm-hmm. practice. And, you know, Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustfully at a woman. And uh, I think we could stand to have covenants like that with our eyes. I think that um, the, I think that as a general rule, Mm-hmm. The cultural relevance lost by not knowing what the latest uh, Game of Thrones is, or right. or uh, Homeland, or whatever you know, Mad Men is one of the documentaries. You know, uh, the one where he cooks meth. That school, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. That is that is that is reputed to be one of the greatest TV series of all time. Mm-hmm. But it's dark. Yeah, and um, I don't think you're going to suffer loss by not participating in one of the greatest television series of all time. Yeah. So my propensity would be that a conservative approach to this is probably wiser than a liberal one. It's interesting when the scripture talks about, um, should you eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols? Should you drink or abstain? The conversation hovers around this way, that the, that those who are mature should restrict their freedoms for the sake of the immature, meaning hmm. uh, biblically, the context there is that the person with the more liberal view, which Paul had, mm-hmm. is actually the mature one. And the ones with the more restrictive views are actually the less mature ones. But he says the mature should surrender their rights on behalf of the immature so that they don't cause them to stumble. I think it is generally true that the more mature you are in your faith, the more you will, you can engage intellectually, artfully, conversationally, missionally with the realities of art and culture mm-hmm. without uh, fear of contamination. I think the immature faith is the one that's fear-based. Gotcha. I have to abstain. I don't want to be spotted. I don't want to eat meat because it might have been prayed for and sacrificed to an idol. So therefore, I'm not going to eat meat at all. I'm going to only eat vegetables. Right. What's that? It's that I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, internalize this story that has these themes because I haven't considered those ideas and what if they rock knock me off exactly. my, my you know. and some people even think if I if I eat food that was prayed to a demon sacrificed to a demon maybe I'm going to become demon possessed I mean it's all this fear crap hmm. and we have not been given a spirit of fear but of love and of power and of sound mind good thinking so sure. uh, I do believe in actual intellectual engagement with the culture being in the world and being a voice in the world. I also think that we should gatekeep the kind of crap that we put in our minds, eyes, and ears and comes out of our mouth um, out of a pursuit of holiness with God. Yeah, that's great. So you got a big takeaway from this conversation? Yeah, my takeaway is kind of a lot, uh, along the lines of uh, and uh, of a blog post I wrote this week that I'm actually not crazy about. And I hope, I hope that, this, that this idea is... Um, that is that it's easily found in that blog because that was the idea. But um, and you might not think this the way I've been talking this whole podcast. But my takeaway is that um, the world as it is, there's nothing really here that's worth a whole lot apart from God. Uh, value wise, you know, yeah. the man who finds the value in the field sells all all oh, he okay. owns. Yeah, yeah, that is. All that is of value. Right. If is, you're going to give yourself away, right. this is the only thing worthy of right. giving yourself away to. So uh, even with my myself, there's been um, some series, not Game of Thrones, for whatever reason, it never appealed to me, even though I am uh, really a big fan of uh, fantasy. But 
but shows that have been highly acclaimed, and I just know that it's not it wouldn't do me good. So you need that priority list to say, mm. um, this is where this is the good stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and apart from that, nothing is is impo- is not that it's not important, but nothing is of that level of value mm-hmm. on on earth, except for uh, for uh, the things of God. I stumbled around on that one a little bit. I but. love that. I, no, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't track with you quicker than this. I love that. And recognizing what has value like that. Right. And what is froth. Right. Exactly. And, and while froth may taste good, look good, be enjoyable, it's froth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. You know, um, I'm going to give one more um conversation which i probably shouldn't do because we just wrapped it up with a really good uh, bottom line <laughs> this will be the epilogue okay this is the epilogue so some churches do sermon series every summer called at the movies and mm-hmm. they'll take uh big blockbuster releases and they'll do sermons about them and it's a way for you to invite a friend to church hey we're going to talk about game of thrones we're going to talk about the latest spider-man movie sure. or, you know whatever and it's culturally engaging and what i love about that some people hate that and we don't do it, you know, where I pastor. But mm-hmm. um, but the reason I like it is because it helps make people realize you're taking in entertainment. Because there is no question to me. The question, you know, the question is, does Hollywood reflect culture or does Hollywood shape culture? Hmm. And I think hands down it shapes culture. Things are being pushed by Hollywood long before they're socially embraced. Sure. And so... What this kind of conversation does is you have a Christian perspective. Let's talk about, for example, one of my favorite movies of all time, which is a totally new age movie, mm-hmm. is Field of Dreams. And people give that quote, you know, if you build it, he will come. That's not the <laughs> quote. Uh, it, it, they will come. People say, if you build it, they will come. But that's not the quote. The build, quote is, if you build it, he will come. And the entire movie is about him and his dad. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, he's playing catch with his dad. And it's the healing of the father wound. It's an incredible story. But if you just watch that movie, you might miss a ton of the significance of what the messaging actually is. And conversely, there'll be messaging that is sabotaging a biblical ethic in some movies. And so to point that out, how many movies do you see where somebody leaves their spouse and runs off with the person they fall in love with and everybody cheers them on? Yeah. Uh, Or they kill somebody. That guy, you know, the guy that, that raped my daughter. I'm going to go out and blow his head off. I'm going to torture him to death. You know, law-abiding citizen. Mm-hmm. That that it's an incredible movie of this guy's obsession to repay for the death of his wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you can't cheer on <laughs> torturing right. people. We have criminal justice systems, and right. you know what I mean. And so it's it's it is good to be able to talk about what art is saying. Mm-hmm. and what those principles are. I think that's an interesting thing. Yeah, that is interesting. That's a good place to end it, I think. All right. Well, listen, thanks for listening tonight, uh, today, wherever you are. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed it. We hope you'll email us, info at jimandjohn.com. Please. And uh, pass uh, an episode on to a friend. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, we're truly grateful for your participation in our journey. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.